When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What up, my homie? Lisa Bilyeu here with a powerful two-part episode that will make narcissistic tricks and crappy abusive behavior so damn obvious you will never question if you're actually going crazy again. My girl, Dr. Romani, is a powerhouse when it comes to exposing narcissistic behavior and behaviors straight from the playbook. Now, not only has Dr. Romani been here more times than I can count, she's one of my favorite freaking guests. She always delivers levels of insights that has helped millions of people spot and create the strategy to take their power back and today we're unmasking the tricks that narcissists use to maintain control over their partners if you're absolutely done with being manipulated guys then we're about to show you how narcissists will use threats mockery and even the silent treatment to keep you under their thumb we also talk about why a typical narcissistic response to boundaries is more manipulation and the fight for control Mahomi, not only is this exhausting, but it's even more reasons for you to get away. That's just part one, guys. Ladies, 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 understanding narcissistic behavior and being able to spot their manipulation tactics may actually save your sanity or may even more seriously save your life. So listen deep, get a pen and let's dive in. Now, here's where you got to be careful, though, Lisa, right? Narcissistic people, for their lack of empathy, lack of self-awareness, lack of regard for others, have an uncanny ability to recognize when someone's playing them. You might actually see an uptick in rage, and their manipulations may become more cruel. It's almost like, you think you're getting away easy? Oh, hell no. What actual cruel and manipulative tactics would a narcissist start to use when they feel like they're losing control of you? So a lot of things. This relationship works if you kind of give them what they want. And in a lot for a lot of folks in a narcissistic relationship, it's this person's manipulating you. They're gaslighting you. You're confused. They say terrible things to you. So you react. It's a very normal reaction. As soon as you react or you get frothed up or you show strong emotion, you gave them exactly what they wanted, right? And so the, as you try to disengage, not fall for the manipulation, understand what it is you're dealing with. If they sense they're losing control of you, like you said, you might actually see an uptick in rage, right? That they're, they're, and their manipulations may become more cruel. It's almost like, you think you're getting away easy? Oh, hell no. I am going to, I'm going to say things that are even worse. I'm going to put you in even more problematic positions. Now, obviously this is on a continuum. In a milder relationship where you may not be, I don't know, financially dependent or something like that, it may be things like classical one. If you really do hold your ground against a narcissistic person, don't engage, you'll get a lot of, oh, so what's this? Are we in therapy now? Did your therapist teach you to do this? So it'll be very contemptuous, very dismissive. Um, mockery, it'll be sheer mockery, which is very unpleasant to deal with and it takes a toll on you over time. In some cases, they will attack things that matter to you. 
they will, your kids, your livelihood, your appearance, any of those things. To them, it's almost no holds barred because they're throwing the Hail Mary pass. They're going to sort of pull you back in. In some cases, they'll beat you to the punch and say, well, if you don't want to spend time with me, they'll step away. Now, you might think, well, that sounds great. Mm, A lot of people out there have abandonment issues. And all they want is for this relationship to work more normally, or they may not want to lose the person. But when the narcissistic person sort of does an about face and says, I'm out of here, you know, like, I don't need this. You you know, I don't know. I don't know who this is, but I don't need this. And some people say, Ooh, I, don't, I don't know that I wanted them fully to go away. So abandonment is almost this big, this big card that narcissistic people will play. You might take it the silent treatment. And I'm not, I did, they don't play when it comes to silent treatment. They can go weeks. I do remember working with a few clients where they said, week six of silent treatment, living with someone, hasn't said a word to me. Every so often they'll do the passive aggressive play of, hey, Hey, Billy, could you tell your mom to pass the potatoes, like that kind of passive aggressive stuff? But if there is no third parties in the home, it is all silent treatment. Maybe something's handled in writing, maybe, but maybe not even that. And you got to have a nerves of steel to be able to handle that. It just, if people say that it makes them feel sick and they'll say, I don't know what made me sicker, dealing with their reaction to me, finally like pulling back my supply or having to just put up with their shenanigans and give in to it. And the point is no point, no path is easy in these relationships. So all of those things can happen. Oh, where do we start, Cal? Um, so if, if they're using that then as a manipulation tactic, are they just trying to make it worse than it already is? Like what's the thought process that's actually going mm. on behind that? Too many people give people with this personality style too much, I don't want to say credit or... They're assuming there's an intention and a motivation there that it's not. Their motivation is to maintain the ground rules of a relationship that works for them, right? And that's usually that they're in a dominant position. So if anything that's inconveniencing them, they don't like that, right? It's like you got a window open in your house and you're cold, so you go close the window. It's that simple. You don't sit there and try to negotiate with the window. You go and shut the damn window. So for a narcissistic person, if you sort of change ground rules that work for them, and that's usually, again, you're pulling back supply, they've lost that thing they want, which is dominance and control. So at one level, they're reacting to that, right? They don't like that. And that sort of, it, it brings up shame, insecurity through shame, which is because their insecurity is being pinged. They're losing control. They don't want that. So that will often re- lead to a lot of the reactivity. But every gambit for a narcissistic person is to maintain control or to keep getting supply. It's pretty simple. It's almost like a, it's almost like a rat. They just want to eat. You know, so if you think of it as it's just about supply and control, then you kind of know, you know what motivates them. It's not personal. I think it feels personal and it hurts you. My saying it's not personal is not me saying it doesn't hurt you, but it's all about this internal process they're having about, I must be in control, but they're not aware of it. This is not, I got to get back in control. It's like, no, 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 I don't like how this feels. And if I don't like how things feel, I lash out rather than a healthy person reflecting and saying, well, something changed here. What don't I like about that? There is something, as you were laying it out, that feels very tactical, right? They're trying this. But to your point, it's not deliberate. So are they just throwing things and seeing what sticks? Like really figuring out what's the thing that's going to irritate or really get my that person back or stop them from having the power? They're tantruming. They're tantruming. So you ask a three-year-old why they tantrum. I'd be curious mm. to see what answer you mm. get back. 
right? I mean, if you've ever tried it, even the three-year-old doesn't even, at some point, they're just sort of out of control, right? They wanted something initially. Maybe they wanted an extra cookie, right? And the mother's like, no, you got one, and one is for dessert and too much. It's not good for you. And then at some point, yeah, it was about the cookie. They Basically, the child wanted something, and they were thwarted. They're totally out of control, and probably 10 minutes in the tantrum, they've forgotten about the cookie, you know, and I even I think even a three-year-old might be better at saying, just sad and mad, or they'll find a word. But for the narcissistic person, a lot of this is tantruming. And then there is that sense of, again, everything that's happening for a narcissistic individual is unconscious. Okay? It's this, it's these tech, it's it's these tectonic plates. It's almost like an earthquake. The earthquake doesn't say, yo, world. About to, about to start shaking your stuff up. Sorry, better get ready. It's not, I mean, it's just things are moving in these tiny ways. For the narcissistic person, what's happening under them is that there are these unconscious processes. Above all else, it's the sense of, of shame if their inadequacy or their insecure, or their sort of flawed parts are seen. They have to remain grandiose. They have to be perfect. And if they're not, it, something terrible will happen. That's the psychology of it, right? So anytime anything pops up in them, they feel a little uncomfortable. It's like almost like a rumbling in their tummy. They're like, don't like this feeling, rage, control, dominate. As long as they do those things, it is, it keep, makes them comfortable. So what they've learned over a lifetime is I don't feel comfortable. I'm, mm, no, you're going to, you're going to pay for it. And because they don't have empathy, or they lack empathy, or it's variable empathy, they're not thinking of, oh, I better not scream at that person because it might hurt them. So that part of the processing is cut out of the loop. It's, I don't feel good. It's the three-year-old. Um, so how then do you respond to things like that? Because um, as you lay out really originally, right, there's all these different types of effects of the way that they're mm-hmm. going to approach you or respond to you when they're mm-hmm. feeling out of control. I had actually heard you say in a video where you said, you know, sometimes you want to express your emotions to that person. But then the narcissist doesn't like you showing emotion. But then when you don't show emotion, the narcissist doesn't like you to show emotion. Right. So again, the, the show of emotion that works for them, I should say, is the show of emotion that allows them to feel in control and dominant. Mm -hmm. So let's say you're crying in front of the narcissistic person, sharing your sadness because you found out that they had betrayed you, they'd had an affair or they'd have an inappropriate relationship, right? The narcissistic person knows what bad behavior is. They know that being a cheater means you're not a good guy. So they, but they, their vision of themselves is as a great guy right? And they did what they wanted to do because it felt good at the time to get their supply and validation. But now it's got them in a bit of hot water. People are going to think they're bad. Well, they ain't going to have that, right? So somebody crying at a time like that, they don't get power from that. They feel shame because they're the reason that person is crying. And they know that. But instead of saying, I am so sorry, and taking ownership and taking responsibility, more shame, they don't do that. They get angry at the person for showing the emotion because they're anger, they're angry at the thing that brought up this bad feeling. Does that make mm. sense? You made me feel bad by feeling bad about the bad thing I did. I know that sounds like a big circle, but that's what they're upset about. So that emotion they don't like. They like the emotion when they bring up something and you're, I don't believe it. And they're calm. Because a calm person always looks like the one in control. So when they get someone to the, and they're saying, like, I don't understand why you're being so dramatic about this. 
then they're in the driver's seat. They, that's the kind of emotion they do like. Anything that puts them in a position of dominance, power, control, they like that. You crying because they hurt you, they don't like that. Different kinds of emotion. Yeah. So is that why I've heard you also say like they'll call you, you know, too sensitive, too dramatic, too mm-hmm. over the top. Use all these words to shame your uh, your emotion, mm-hmm. which can be very valid. But that mm-hmm. also in those moments, I think it dismisses us that or not even dismisses us. It can make you second guess. Am I being yep. too sensitive? Yep. Is this just me? So even though you know you're in this dynamic with that person, they're going to use these certain ways to manipulate you. How do you start to know? And maybe this is a bit of a trick question, but how do you know that it isn't you? Because all the work we do to help someone or I guide people to do when they're healing from these relationships has to be on themselves. The narcissistic person is a is a side issue to me. They're the stimulus. They're the catalyst, right? They are, they're not even that important. It's the a person doing the deep dive into themselves. You need to know who you are, right? And be able to be self-reflective. So and understand what the sort of spectrum of normal responses are. And it's a pretty wide spectrum of what constitutes normal. Mm. But it's also about knowing your history. That sometimes disproportionate, if you will, and I put that in quotes, responses to something can have origins in trauma. They can have um, origins in self-protection from early experiences, right? And, and it may be that their reaction, it is too much. It is too much for the situation. And... For the person to say, yep, I see, I get it. And, and they'll say, that was probably too much. I also, though, understand why I was reacting like that. And they're able to see it more holistically, right? Because at those times when we have that sort of understanding of self, we're almost prepared on the front end when we go into a situation like that saying, okay, this is not going to be easy for me. This is going to bring up a lot for me. So I either have to give myself permission to step out of it for a second, excuse myself, maybe splash some cold water on my face, train myself to breathe through it and understand I probably won't get it just right and be self-forgiving to myself, but that we are, none of us are robots. No one's ever going to respond perfectly in every situation. To do the deeper dive, what what was happening for me? What was driving me? What was I responding to? And, and as you do that, it's about knowing yourself and normalizing sort of what was happening for you. And you may have said, oh, that probably was too much. But now that I get it, I'm not going to doubt and blame myself. But I, got to, I might need to check myself next time. And so how do you... How do you check yourself in those moments, though, right? Because if you've been in a, a narcissistic mm-hmm. relationship where that person has just year after year after year chipped away at you and telling you that you're no good, telling you that you um, you don't have value, telling you mm-hmm. that you're useless, how do you start to really know your worth in that situation so that if they're trying to bring you down, if they're trying to... Um, you know, either gaslight you or really just manipulate you into believing that you are no good so that you don't leave. How can you keep going back to a base that maybe you haven't developed? So it's, it, here's where it gets tricky. Part, in some ways you have to know some decent things about yourself. And it may not be that somebody's walking out saying, I am great. I'm wonderful. But rather, I'm resilient. I've managed to keep it together mm-hmm. in this relationship. Despite all the adversities I've had, I still get up in the morning. Like everyone has strengths, right? Understanding some of that. But here's where we're going to use your tactics word again, right? This is where the person who's dealing with the narcissistic person needs tactics. 
right? If you're being gaslighted, if you're being raged at by somebody who you've seen over time, consistently this has been their pattern, not engaging is the only path. And it's it's no longer that I'm good, I'm great, I'm nothing. It's the tactic here is to not engage with this person. So, and it is going to take a toll on you to be screamed at, to hear things that matter to you, be shouted at, to be told you're this, you're that. But it's going to radical acceptance. Like this is coming out of the body of a person or the head of a person or mind of a person who doesn't have a strong sense of self, who doesn't know how to regulate. Uh, You're not signing off on it. You're not agreeing with it, but you're not engaging with it. Mm -hmm. That's the piece. It's the, it's not that you're sitting and taking it, but you're, you know, you're almost mildly dissociating at those times. Like if, if there's no way out, it's the, you know what you're dealing with. It's, it's really that and not, and, and again, doing whatever you can do inside of yourself, whether it's breathing, some people have mantras, some people have prayers, um, some people will study a room, they'll be like, if you were doing that to me now, I might find myself lost in sort of, let me describe this room that's around me. Oh, there's white flowers over there. And they're in the shape of the tree I have, like they get lost in the environment, because what's coming at you is nonsense, mm. right? And, um, and then you say, Okay. Um, I, I, okay. And then you just go like you, you're listening to something absurd. That's only going to make, if, if the narcissist is going off on you and you stay calm like that, that volume is going to go up and up and up. Now, obviously, as I always say in this channel, I am not talking about cases where you're escalating to physical violence. Mm-hmm. That's an entirely different conversation. You're focused on safety, the whole get the F out of there, like anything you can do to stay safe. That's a different conversation. I'm not even touching that here. I'm talking yeah, about someone you. who's screaming, screaming, yelling, screaming, you know, getting so agitated that you are, you're, you're, you're just staying as calm and you're really figuring out how am I going to get myself out of this situation. They may even trail you out of the door and keep and keep yelling and screaming and yelling and screaming, but it's the not engaging it that is so important. And so don't even say, yes, you're right, like even just to like shut it down? Depends on what you're trying to do. So it's just funny. I just shot a video about that this, this morning. So it's very top of mind for me. And the video was really about this idea of how people feel kind of gross when they give in right? When they say you're right. And I say, it's, a, it's survival, right? Would you ever, you know, would you ever get mad at someone who might break a window to get into a place to seek shelter to survive? No, we wouldn't. We'd like that survival. So sometimes giving in is the way that you're surviving in the sense of it's low stakes. They're going on like, you were there. You were, you remember 20 years ago, you were there. You were at that bar. What difference? Okay. You were never at that bar, but you could say, sure. Okay. I just had this happen the other day. Someone's like, this is a case. This is a case. I'm like, all right, well, I mean, okay, that, yeah, I, you know, sure. I could see that. And, and that kind of got the person, well, what are they going to say? You don't believe me enough? You know, Mm -hmm. I knew it wasn't true. And I think part of it is the conviction within yourself that I know this isn't true, but I also know I'm giving in on this because I got to keep the trains running. So an interesting analogy I'd once learned from a client who was dealing with a very dysregulated narcissistic partner. And what she had said was, she said, it's about time for me. And if I get into it with this person, if I try to set a limit, if I fight back, if I tell them their behavior is not okay, I could lose not only maybe six to eight hours or the whole weekend. So I have to do a quick calculation. Do I want to lose a weekend? Do I want to lose eight hours? Do I want to lose two weeks of tantruming about this? Nah, 
So I give him, I'll answer any way this person wants to hear it. Again, assuming this isn't going to put her in harm's way or she wasn't agreeing to something she doesn't want. But, you know, it was this particular case. It was the, the husband was trying to get the wife to admit that she is too indul- was overly indulgent of one of their kids. And she's like, you know, you're right. I spoil them. Like, I, I am too indulgent. You're absolutely right. She wasn't, she wasn't and she wasn't going to change it. But that was like, he's like, yeah, yeah, I know. You know, it's like, it's good that you finally see it. Ugh. And she's like, I know, I know. I, I'm terrible with him. I, I got to get that together. Now, here's where you got to be careful, though, Lisa, right? Narcissistic people, for their lack of empathy, lack of self-awareness, lack of regard for others, have an uncanny ability to recognize when someone's playing them. Mm. They pick up the little tone and voice and they feel like you're patronizing them, right? So you've got to toe a line where, I mean, it's it's the Academy Award kind of performance sort of thing where you have to say, you know, you're right. I am. I am. You can't be like, I know you're right. I'm really indulgent. It has to be like, you know, you're right. Yeah, I am. I am pretty indulgent. I, I'll, I'll, you know, I got to get on that. I, I, yeah, you're, you're, but yeah, I got to work on that. And so you kind of have to sound like a little like scattered and all this, but all of that over time, the more times in our life we are inauthentic, the greater a toll it takes on us. Mm. You know, you cannot be authentic in a narcissistic relationship. So the more time you spend with them, the less authentic you can be, the more of a toll it's taking on your mental health. So at a minimum, you need to find places in your life where you can bring your true self, where you can be authentic. But the um, a lot of people feel like, I feel bad. I feel like I'm my own gaslighter. I feel like they're winning. I said, they're not winning. They're walking around. They're them. You would not want to be them. It is a terrible, terrible life. Even though it seems like they got it all figured out, they really do. They constantly feel like they're under siege, narcissistic people. It's a terrible way to live. So it's not that they're winning. It's that you're making a decision to say, I don't want to lose six hours. You won. You got the six hours back. If you own your own business, when an employee leaves your company, whether on good terms or bad, it can feel, I hate to say it, but it actually can feel personal, like you and you alone are the one to blame. And it actually may even trigger you to lock down your business, not open yourself up and not actually risk trying anyone else. Like you actually would your heart after a bad breakup and avoid looking for that new partner altogether. Well, let's face it, sometimes we can do that with highs as well. And trust me, guys, I've been there. I get the thought of bringing in a new stranger into your business actually fills your heart with more anxiety than it does love and joy. But when you post your jobs on LinkedIn, you can actually feel the confidence that you will find the right person for the right job fast because LinkedIn isn't actually just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion billion with a B professionals, which makes it the best place to hire because guys, it gives you access to professionals that you actually can't find anywhere else. And so LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive, which then makes hiring with confidence easy when you have that many quality candidates. And it's so easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get qualified candidates within 24 hours. So post your jobs for free at linkedin.com slash Lisa. That's linkedin.com slash Lisa to post your job for utterly free. And of course, terms and conditions always apply. As an entrepreneur, one of the biggest challenges you will face is a negative voice in your head. You know who I'm talking about. That may be not so small part of you that loudly doubts your abilities to actually pull the things off and make a living from your passion project. But you've got to overcome that negative voice in your head, homie, because I'm telling you, you can do it. 
especially if you use Shopify. Now, Shopify is an all-in-one global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From launching your business to hitting a million dollars, Shopify has got you completely covered. And with all the built-in Magic AI award-winning customer service and the internet's best converting checkout, you have everything you need to shut down the voice of doubt and make all your amazing business dreams a reality. That's exactly why, guys, I love Shopify. So if you want to start growing your business with more customers and sales, shut that negative voice down and prove her wrong that you can do it, Shopify is here for you. So go and sign up for just $1 a month with your trial period at shopify.com slash Lisa, all lowercase. Again, guys, you can go to shopify.com slash Lisa right now to grow your business, no matter where you are and what stage it's in. That's shopify.com slash Lisa. Mm, oh God, I love that framing. And literally you took the words out of my mouth that I was going to ask that you can't necessarily be sarcastic about it, I assume. Because no, if they pick no. up on that. Oh Lord. Then it's, it's, it's yeah, there. How dare you talk down to me? So you, again, it is, it is performance, mm-hmm. tactical performance. And it's, it's hard. I mean, they, they, it's almost like they can, even if you were rolling your eyes inside your head, they can pick up on that. And so I've also heard you talk about the, and one of the tactics they do is try to make you feel badly about yourself. Yeah. Explain that to me. How do they actually do that? And then what is the result of them doing that? Mm-hmm. So it's a, um, give you a classical example. You person goes up to a narcissistic person in a life partner, whomever, and says, Hey, you're not going to believe it. Like they're, they're jumping me up to the promotion. I am super excited. Like I didn't think I'd get it, but I've been putting in the extra hours. I, I can't, I'm so excited. And the narcissistic person will say, you sure you got this? Like I was quick. Like, really? Can you handle that? And remember, you're already in a relationship with somebody who's been manipulating and gaslighting and getting him in. But they're like, you, you sure you could do that? Now, some will say, well, they're just projecting their insecurity. I understand that. But now you're like, oh, I just got this big promotion. Can I handle this? They'll get those digs in all the time. Or they'll compare you to someone else. Like, you know, th- you'll make a beautiful dinner and the, they'll sit down and say, oh, I see what you're doing. You're trying to compete with my sister. You think you can cook like her? So you've made this amazing dinner and then it's triangulated into this almost it's it's you're made to look foolish or um, you might do yourself up, fix your hair, dress up and they'll say, well, what's this? Like, who, who, who are you getting ready for? And instead of like, you look lovely, someone will say, well, just learn how to speak narcissism. They're trying to tell you, you look nice. No, I'm not doing that. I don't want to need a Rosetta Stone to be able to get through a damn relationship, you know? And so they're trying to bring you down, right? The more they can do that, the more they can control. So it's, it's digs, it's passive aggressive, it's comparing you to other people, um, it's a competition. So let's say that you work in the same business as them, same industry as them. And um, and you could decide to, you know, excel in your own way. And they're like, what do you think? You're going to catch up to me? And it's very dismissive, very contemptuous. They use their tone a lot, very sneering, very dismissive. So sometimes it's not even what they say, it's how they say it. But this doesn't happen once. This happens over and over and over. Sometimes they'll even do the passive aggressive You've really, you've, again, you've succeeded in the, and they'll say, 
Oh, little Miss Fancy, what are you going to do? Put that plaque on your wall like a two-year-old? You got a sticker from your teacher? They'll do that too. So it's all so hurtful. But again, and everyone's like, no, it's because they're insecure. I get that, folks. You're not telling me something I don't know. It's that it's they have to get the digs in because their their shame is coming up. Should you tell yourself in those moments, because I'm always trying to play that, um, the person that's hearing it, the person that maybe recognizes it, but also the person that actually believes it. And so if you're the person that starts to believe Mm -hmm. it, what are the things that you can start to do? Because you may know it's a manipulation tactic, but also it still can feel very real, especially if they're pressing on the thing that you really are insecure about. Couple of things. Number one, there's no quick, I mean, if a person's gone through a narcissistic relationship for long enough, and especially they grew up with a narcissistic parent, the voice never goes away. And I say this as a survivor at 57 years old, sitting in front of you, I will never believe what I do is good, ever. I look at the draft of my book, which we'll be talking about in the months to come. I'm like, no one's going to read this. I look at my YouTube. No one's going to watch this. I look at everything I do. I'm not very good. And people are like, how do you not see you're doing good work? I'm like, you know what? Let's not even have that conversation. And I've said this in my own therapy. I said to my therapist, let's be clear. I'm never going to get there. And I'm not wasting any more time trying to get there. I am going to, but what I am going to believe is that I'm going to keep doing work I think is helping people. And when I get the feedback that it's hitting, and it's not even directly from the people, it's my staff saying, yeah, it's working. Here's the numbers. We And they're even on to like, we know, you don't think you're doing a good job, but the numbers are there. We're, we're doing what we need to do. Bye. You know, so it's it's that. So my point then becomes is the, what are the tools you can do? Because all the things we can't do, I do with clients. Number one, you need at least one safe place. You need one person who sees you accurately. So even if you don't fully believe it, because I think people are kidding themselves. If they think, no, I'm going to make this person totally believe in themselves. I'll never talk like that again. Not going to happen. They, they, that, that seed of doubt it's like a weed in a lawn. You can do whatever, unless you're going to tear up that whole lawn and resod it. There's no equivalent of that for a person. And so you carry it, but then you get, you get plugged into meaning and purpose. You get plugged into great support networks and you have people tell you, this is good. And they know you don't feel it, but you trust and love them. It's like they're saying it's good and they'd never lie to me. So I have to believe a little of it, right? So I'm telling you that this isn't, this is not stuff you solve quickly. These are This is bedrock that goes so deep into the earth you can't imagine. So it's the having the other, the alternate sources of information. It's having the people who tell you it's good. It's finding meaning and purpose because when you're working on stuff that matters to you and you put your head down, you're like, I think this is good. Like, I think it's good that I get to do, not that I even think it's good, but like I get to do what matters to me. But then over time, having the radical acceptance about the narcissistic person means that you know what's coming out of their mouth is a joke. And you'll forever have some grief that it got to you because you don't fully believe in yourself in other spaces. But at least if you can recognize what they're saying is a joke, it doesn't put a bigger finger on the scale. Does that make sense? Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. This is deep and big. And there's no magical way that someone's going to turn it off and say, I'm great. Thank you for being so transparent about that. It seems like you've used that as empowerment to say, like, mm-hmm. this is just who I am. I'll never mm-hmm. believe in this. Um, how do you see that as empowerment versus someone else that may see that as giving up or like mm-hmm. you've lost faith in yourself? The meaning and purpose piece, the getting up and finding something that makes your heart sing and doing it. 
you know, and I have to say, if a person goes through enough narcissistic relationships, your life starts to feel like a Hail Mary pass. I'm like, well, everything else has been taken away from me, so I might as well go for it, right? It does have that kind of, that that sort of like, you know, I, I it has that flair. And that's someplace I try to take survivors where I almost like, what do you got to lose? You know, let's go. And they'll say, okay, you're right. What do I have to lose at this point? And sometimes the thing that makes your heart sing isn't a job. It could be a hobby. It could be volunteering. It could be your faith. It could be your children. It could be your pets. You know, it could be something you start that small. Like if someone might put together a book club. They, I mean, again, I'm not talking about like people to go out and write the great American novel or something. Whatever it is, that thing that is yours and the key, the key, the key is if you have something you love and that you do in your life, never, ever share it with the narcissistic person, ever. And this is sort of the rule of threes I give people in narcissistic relationships that builds on what we're saying. I always tell them, if you have good news, this is I don't care if you're still married to this person. I don't care if you still live with them. I don't care if this is your family member. I don't care if it's something you see every damn day. Something good happens to you, never tell them first. Never. You need a list. Make a list on your phone if you need to. And you have at least three people, four people, maybe 10 people you share the good news with first. Let them say, oh my God, I'm so proud of you. I love you. This is so great. And you get the la 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 la, the happiness that people care about you give. So A, if you can, never tell the narcissistic person. And B, by the time you tell them, if you have to tell them, you've gotten the good stuff. So when they're dismissive and sneering and are you a two-year-old and all that, you're like, ah, yeah, now I got to remember who I'm dealing with here. Let it go. But ideally don't tell them. Same thing with bad news. Something bad happens. Demotion at work, lose your job, diagnosis of an illness, whatever. Don't tell the narcissistic person first. A lot of people say, I know this is going to, I'm going to tell them, oh my God, when they find out I'm sick. You know what can happen when they find out you're sick? They're going to abuse you more. You find someone else to tell. Same list. Hey, yo, I got this test. I'm a little worried to the people who you know can hear it. You'll get a lot of how can I help? Do you want to talk about it? Then and only if it's necessary, tell the narcissistic person. So that leaves people saying, I can't tell them the good stuff and I can't tell them the bad stuff. What the hell am I supposed to tell them? I say the indifferent stuff. Like, did you hear those coyotes last night? (laughs) Or I can't believe it. They, They changed the sign on that Starbucks. Or the lane is closed down on Ventura Boulevard. And that's it. And like, well, that's not a relationship. I said, it was. Why would they um, abuse you more if you tell them the bad stuff? Because they're either going to feel like now they have to, they may have to step up and do something. They might have to take care of you. They might feel that shame again. Um, I see this a lot with medical stuff. Countless numbers of people who would stick it out in the narcissistic relationship, thought they had radically accepted, they hadn't. And then they get sick which many people who are staying in these relationships long enough do, the stress really takes a body out. And they'll say, okay, now that I tell them I have, God forbid, cancer, I have a chronic autoimmune condition, whatever, they're going to see there's something real happening. I have to go to the hospital. This is it. They're going to sit by my bed, a hospital bed. And usually the first comment is, oh, what now? You so I can take you to urgent care? Or like, oh, come on. You so I can sit at chemo with you for two and a half hours? I'm busy. These are quotes I have witnessed, okay? So people say they wanted to drop me off at the curb at the emergency room and did. I don't like hospitals. I don't like sick people. Really, I'm so busy. Like, this isn't what I signed up for. 
That's what you'll hear. So for some people, they thought, God, well, maybe when the rubber hits the road, maybe when there's a real need, this person will step up. And the danger of that is they don't make alternative plans. You don't, I mean, you know, you find someone else to take you to that colonoscopy, folks. Do not count on the narcissistic person. Narcissists will then get mad, like, why did you ask your friend to take you? Like, come on, isn't a husband supposed to take you? And say, that's when you could say, you know what, I knew you were so busy this week. And she wanted to, she, you know, she, she had to go by there. Anyhow, you make up your little excuse. The whole thing is a farce. There is no, you know what I'm saying? It it is bringing up the level of inauthenticity, but no, they don't like hearing the bad news because they feel like they, now it's almost as though if they don't help, then they're a bad person Mm. and they don't want to feel like a bad person, Mm. but they don't want to help. So, (laughs) so what if about then even with the good news, as I assume at some point they're going to hear it, right? Let's say you've got a promotion or let's say something amazing has happened and you're, you've gone to a party and let's say you're talking to your friends about it, but they overhear it. Aren't you going to trigger them more because you haven't told them? Depends on how big the news is right now. Like if you've been, I don't know, nominated for a Nobel Prize, you might want to tell them. This <laughs> is kind of big. But like, I don't know. Let's say it's a, a promotion that was mattered to you. But yeah, it's not that much more money or whatever. That's where if some they their friends are like, oh my gosh, like did you hear? Like she's this and like how come I didn't know about this and say, oh my gosh, it was there. They exaggerate. They're making such a big deal about it. It's not that big a deal, and you down you might have to almost downplay what it was because they always feel like they need to be in the know. And right. right. And so you have to play it carefully. If it's big, big news, it's the kind of thing that would cause a hubbub or people are going to post it on social media. Then. Get your goodies, get people that, you know, who support you and love you. And then you're like, oh my gosh, you're not going to believe la 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 la. And then they'll make their, they, they'll make a dig. They'll end oh, here we are. We're talking, we're, we're, oh, this is what we're doing. We're talking about you again. But you've already talked with people who have said, we're so proud of you. And now you're, and then what you're thinking of tactically is like, now I'm out of the woods. I've told them, so I have to worry about it now. Mm. You just got that out of the way. God, it's, it's such a, um, What's the word? Almost like this, this little like maze, because you think like, okay, they don't want to hear good news, but then surely bad news is going to greet them more warmly towards me. Mm. But if they don't even want to hear that, then it kind of puts you back in the foot of like the, the unexpected. It's, I think the unknown that also can be quite scary for people where you think something's about to happen and it doesn't. So if you had to have a knowledge of some sort about when you're in a situation with a narcissist of when to share, when not to share, how to share and uh, where to share, Mm -hmm. is there like a, a, oh God, I'm going to say simplistic rule of thumb. I assume assume it's not going to be a simple thing. Number one, if it's something that matters to you, like I said, make sure you have gotten, you've sounded out through other people first, whenever possible, right? If the narcissistic person's next to you and when you find out someone died, you're not going to say, wait, I got to go tell everyone else they died and then I'm going to tell you. I mean, I'm being, you know, I'm, I'm saying like you were away from them when the news came and now, you know, and yet now you've shared it with other people. So one is to to turn to your supports first, number one. Number two is read the room. I mean, remember, narcissistic people are interesting. It's not always bad days with them. There are days when they're doing well. You know, you know it. They're whistling a tune and they're having a good day because they got validated. Everything went the way they wanted. They're feeling good for whatever reason they're feeling good. You might be able to step in there a little bit more tentatively and share something. You know that I think that they might be more able to hear whatever it is I'm sharing with them. A third thing you want to be aware of is how am I doing today? 
Can I, when can I withstand their having a meltdown and, and, and attacking me and dismissing me and being cruel to me or being passive aggressive or whatever they are? Am I up for that before you share something? Um, I, and this is going to sound gross, but I'm going to say next, have a bunch of topics already written out in your phone, little things to talk about. Can't talk about controversial political stuff. Can't talk about, you know, have the, have the list prepared, um, and say, you know, ask them about themselves. That's another thing that helps. It's an, I mean, I don't even think it's, it's fair to say what you do in a narcissistic relationship is sharing because sharing represents a back and forth and you have to be careful. That's why these relationships are so much work. You are having to read the room. You are having to assess how, where you're at. You're having to assess where they're at. And then, and only then are you going to necessarily make the information sort of known. Mm, yeah, mm. God, it's such a tricky navigation to mm. do in those uh, situations. And like, even if I thought, oh, he's having a good day. I would then start to doubt, well, if you, you're you the one that's bringing bad news, he's really going to come after you for bringing bad news to his good day. I'm glad you brought that up because it could very well be that, that you they'll, they'll get mad at you. Oh, my God, I was having a great day and now you did this to me, blah, blah, blah. So th- there's no winning at this. And I think that, that that piece of it, of knowing that no matter how careful you are about this, that you still may, there's no, I think the thing is people think I can get it right. In some ways, their bad reactions are a reminder of it's really not you. I, at least I remember a case of somebody who had told me that she's relatively new in the relationship too. It was like two, three months, some red flags, whatever. And she said to the guy, she said, oh my gosh, I am so glad you wore that sweater again. It is so, I love how it brings out the blue in your eyes. I thought that the first time he raged at her. And you don't want to know why he raged at her? He raged at her. He said, what do you think? I only have one sweater. What's your point? Like, what are you trying to do? You try, seriously? Like, you think I'm a bum? He went off. So even a compliment can be skewed. Yeah. Ooh, that's tricky. Um, you've also laid out all like some things of like, just don't say this. No matter what circumstances you're in, don't say this. And so one of them is don't say like... Um, oh, I hope, you know, don't get mad, but... No, no. So why... Because no, no, no. uh, these are very tactical. I and mean, I love getting tactical because mm-hmm. to my last question is that sometimes it can be so nuanced. I'm not even sure mm-hmm. how to maneuver. Mm-hmm. But I really do love how you just lay out, don't say this, do this, because mm-hmm. it just gives me more of a prescription to go by. Right. So I'd love to go through a few of them. So the first one is um, don't say to someone, don't get mad. Why should you not say I'll that? I'll tell you this. It's a bad thing to say to anyone. Okay, so it's a, yeah. it, even forget the narcissistic guilt. It never go up to someone and say, don't get mad. Because you're about to tell them something that's going to anger them and you're telling them don't have an emotion, right? <laughs> so that's just not going to work. And, you know, and, and so, but you may, in it with a healthier person, be able to say, I am so sorry to have to tell you this, but la, 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 la. And then the person have a reaction. If you're going to give that kind of heavy bad news that's going to make anyone angry to a narcissistic person, I would say either... If you could do it in a place where maybe there's other people that could keep you safe or um, make sure everyone, no one's drinking so it doesn't get, maybe it doesn't get worked up and agitated or whatever it may be that you, but don't ever preface it with that because it's actually a little bit gaslighty, but it really gets a narcissistic person incensed because they don't like being told what to do and you're telling them don't get mad as you're telling them what to do. 
Yeah, oh, that's so true. And when um, <laughs> like it's kind of like saying to someone like you just need to calm down. No, no one ever calms never, down if you tell them never, to calm ever, down. Ever. And that's it. Narcissistic people tend to tell people to calm down. Really? That's a big narcissist line. Interesting. Why yeah. is that? Well, it's because it's gaslighting. Calm down. You're being too emotional. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, you also say um, do not say to them like, do you hear yourself? Like, do you listen to yourself? Oh God, no. Because A, they don't, all right? And what you're doing is, that's indirect communication, right? Do you hear yourself is not, again, it's actually not a healthy way to communicate, but for a narcissistic person, it will spin them out. Because what you're saying is, what's the corollary to that? You sound insane. Mm. You sound terrible. You sound racist. You sound something terrible, right? And so you're, now they're going to experience that in a shaming way, and they're definitely going to rage at you. Yeah. Um, okay. And then you also say, don't ask them why. Oh, why never. They do That's things. the biggest one of all. So when any of us ask someone why, what are we asking really? What we're trying to get at the core of in general is their motivation. Mm-hmm. Why did you go to the store? Why did you ask him that? Why did you take that job? Why did you make chicken for dinner? Okay. You're trying to understand the motivational process that led to a given decision, right? And I mean, I think if we're having a bad day, not all of us love that question, but it's the, it's an unpacking question. Now, narcissistic people are almost detached from their motivations for their behavior. They really are because they have so much unprocessed, unconscious stuff, shame, insecurity, all of that. They're not able to, um, they're not, they don't have that awareness. So they can't answer your question. Then they feel foolish and then they get angry. Mm. So it's purely because they can't answer it that they feel like they're being trapped by you? They feel, they feel shamed. I don't know why. Mm. I don't know why I do this. Why are you even asking me such a stupid question? How about that why? You know, so they'll immediately lash out. So they don't like the why, not just because they don't know what their motivation is, but also because they're oppositional. They don't like being held accountable. So why'd you go to the store? None of your business. Even though they went to go get milk. They just don't like that accountability. It's there's an inherent oppositionality built into narcissistic people. Don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me, don't, I don't owe you anything. I don't have to tell you what I'm doing. That's very big part of that personality style. Mm. So when you ask them why, they also don't, they feel like they shouldn't have to answer that. Yeah, oh God, that's terrible. Um, what about when they're, gaslighting you to the point that you end up gaslighting yourself so i know one of the common traits especially when like if you're trying to leave people are just like oh but if it could just go back to the way it was um and i've heard you say like there is no going back to the way it was as if it was like the good old days right. but not only sometimes i think does someone manipulate you by telling you that i think sometimes we almost like gaslight ourselves by I understand why we want to believe that there were some good old days, but I think sometimes we trick ourselves into believing, oh yeah, if I just don't rustle any feathers anymore, then we'll go back to the good old days. If I don't call them on this behavior that I've now spotted, we're going to go back to the good old days. So, okay. So let's talk about the, a person in a narcissistic relationship who still doesn't know what they're dealing with. They don't quite understand narcissism. might say, why can't we go back to the beginning? They were texting me all the time and buying me gifts and we'd go on these vacations and we'd have these long conversations, right? That's more of a euphoric recall process where a person wants to go back to a time that you'll never really get back to again because they were trying to win you over, Mm. kind of draw you into them. 
Now, when the narcissistic person basically saying, can we go back to the way it was, is before you understood what the hell you were dealing with, mm-hmm. right? So before, you know, it was the whole, you were always giving in, you would fall for the gaslighting, you would uh, doubt yourself, you would, again, they got to remain in the position of power and dominance. So when you do set a limit or a boundary or don't engage with them the same way, they basically are saying, it's a dressed up way of saying, I want to go back to, like you said, I want to go back to the time where you weren't giving me such a hard time. Mm-hmm. So you have, the, and this is, this is the, this is a paradox of these relationships. You can make one of these relationships work easy. Just give into everything and give up on your sense of self. And if you do that, this relationship will work. Don't call them out on their behavior. Just put up with it. And you, if, it's almost like being in a cult. A cult works if everyone follows the cult leader. It works just fine. So, well, I just have to follow the teachings of the cult leader and I'll be fine, right? And so the problem is once you see the light, it's pretty hard to go backwards. And But then people will blame themselves saying, well, maybe that's just what I did. I've worked with many clients like this. It could be a parent, it could be a partner where they're saying, well, I did change the rule book. I did go along, go along, go along. And then all of a sudden I'm no longer going along. And so they don't like that. And I was like, okay, great. That, okay, that's clear. Go back. Do it that way. No, I, I don't know that. I'm like, that was dishonest. I'm like, okay. Mm. Them's your options. And I think all of these things, Lisa, drive radical acceptance because they start to say like, oh, if I do every single thing that they want, then this relationship works. Well, I don't want to be in that relationship. And so, but they'll view it as look back and say, well, these are the good old days because we weren't fighting as much. Things kind of seem like they run they would run more smoothly. I've worked with people who went through difficult divorces and they'll say, yes, I know in the long run I'll be better without them, but gosh, it was so much easier when I wasn't going to court and I loved our home together. And, you know, the financial comfort gets lost. Like people will sometimes look at like there was an order to their lives. The work of therapy, the work of healing is you were in something where you were paying the ultimate cost, which was yourself. And is that worth it? And people will often, we can break them out of the hate saying, no, 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 no. I don't want to go back. But I, they will look back and say, I did once have a life that was, had a lot less conflict in it. I did have a life that was a lot more comfortable, that was easier, where I had less social stigma, whatever it is that they lost when they decided to change up the rules. And what gets even harder is if the people around the person who's in the narcissistic relationship don't understand narcissism. And they'll say, well, you're the one who got to be so difficult. You're the one who's like, what's, you know, I mean, is it really them? So they, cause they might think the narcissistic person's great. Remember, they're very good at being publicly facing nice and generous and all those things. So other people might say, well, you're the one who's different now. And in fact, the difference now is you're actually understanding what it is you're dealing mm. with. And are there parts that we just almost like romanticize because we remember in that moment how it may be felt? Listen, human beings have a remarkable, our, by and large, the way we think of memory is we cherry pick the bad stuff, right? We do. We remember bad stuff with greater salience than we do good stuff for no other reason that it protects us, right? Mm-hmm. If we could remember where all the dangers were from an evolutionary perspective, we would know, don't go down there, there's a danger there, there's a danger there, there's a danger there. We remember that. We remember the plant that had the poisonous berries or made us sick, whatever. Good things are harder, and then there's interesting work out there from people saying part of what we can teach people through meditation is to pull out the good, right? An interesting thing happens, there's a bit of a reversal that can happen for people in narcissistic relationships because there are good things that happen throughout the relationship. 
And there's the trauma bonded piece of having to justify a person's bad behavior on the basis of their good behavior. So holding on to those good behaviors almost becomes its own form of survival. Because if I can remember these good behaviors, then I can stay in this. And it's not doing you a service because I, I, I do recall talking to someone and years and years they'd say, but we had went out dancing in Miami, but like we had this great time in Miami. But I remember I said, for the number of times you have brought up that night dancing in Miami, mm. one would think you went to Miami every month. Happened one time 25 years ago and this person still talked about it. 